I just remember there was such a vivid moment where I was driving down the road in my truck and my brain, I mean, I was having suicidal thoughts. Uh, my brain was like, just drive into that tree. Like we can just, just it's easy, Sean. We can just end the pain. Just, just you're on 55, just turn the wheel a quarter degree to the right. And that was, that was terrifying. Welcome to the Depression Files, where you'll hear interviews of men who have struggled with depression. We talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that sharing stories is one of the best ways to chip away at the stigma. I also believe that sharing stories helps to educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Good evening and welcome to The Depression Files. I'm really excited tonight we have on the line Sean Adams. Sean is an inspirational speaker and a podcaster. Sean, thank you so much for being here tonight. Yeah, thank you, Al. It's uh, an absolute pleasure to, to be on here with you. I appreciate the time. So I know uh, I read a little bit about you, checked out your blog. I know you have a blog. you got a podcast. I'd love to get into that later. Uh, it sounds like with your own story, you've gone through, it sounded like five different major bouts of depression. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was five. Five is the lucky number. <laughs> when, uh, when did you first experience depression because a lot of the guys on this show unlike myself talk about depression being like from childhood as far back as they can remember and i think uh your first one if i remember correctly was until mid 20s or so yeah so it was, it was early 20s i mean i think to be honest with you al i probably was experiencing it as a child but i don't think that uh, my parents had a recognition of it obviously i wouldn't have either so although I might have been dealing with that, I didn't really recognize it at that. I remember as a kid, I was kind of, um, you know, they had at one point thought I was bipolar. Um, so I kind of had experienced a lot of those symptoms where I'd be like, especially specifically playing hockey. Like I would go out there and score like five goals and then the next day I'd show up and it would look like a, you know, a completely different human being playing the game. So I think I was experiencing it as a teenager, um, but really the first recognition of it was, um, in my early twenties, I believe I was 21 was the first time I actually dealt with it. Okay. So when you say you were possibly, they, they were considering bipolar disorder, how old were you at the time and what was it? Uh, can you give us a little more specifics about why they would have thrown that term out, uh, when you yeah. were a youngster? Yeah. So, so that, that wasn't, um, that wasn't about, I think it was like 25. Um, so I was on like my third third episode or so oh gotcha and so that was later yeah that was later on yeah that was okay. later on i thought you um, meant as a kid so no. so as a kid when you look back and you say in hindsight you think you were dealing with depression you mentioned hockey going out having a great game and then looking like a different player on the ice can you say more about that yeah absolutely so like kind of touching into you know where i said the bipolar diagnosis i think like something i've kind of gone through my for a, lot, a large portion of my life is these like ex periods of extreme like high energy where I, I would just be like, you know, like I like to call myself Superman. And really, I guess the, if we're trying to give terminologies, like it would probably be like a 
what would be referenced as a hypomanic state. I never really got to that manic, like crazy hospitalization out of control, but I would just have, I mean, my energy would be like 10 to, you know, it would just be way, way more ecstatic than really anyone else around me or that, that I could recognize. I kind of always felt a little bit different. So, you know, as a kid, again, it was just this real flip-flop. And I think hockey is the best example I can use because it would be like, you know, I'd have games where, you know, you have this super high energy. And when you're in that state, you know, you're feeling confident. You're kind of feeling, I don't want to say invincible, but really like kind of that untouchable feeling where like I can lift a house, really. And, uh, you know, I'd go out there and just play like a madman on the ice. And like I said, score five goals. But then when I look back at the hindsight, I mean, there were games where I was like, afraid to get hit and like this just just complete opposite end of the spectrum with my confidence and which you know I mean you look at different mental states I mean it clearly affected the way I played the game and it really was like a shell of the the human that showed up last week you know what I mean so now that I've kind of really walked through a lot of these things like I can look back and be like damn like okay I I really think I was dealing with it earlier on than I than I ever imagined yeah and could you actually identify with the hockey kind of an emotional piece? Because in my mind, I grew up playing hockey all my life, too. Oh, okay, and, cool. And guys definitely have bad games, right? I mean, I had crappy games where I'd feel like crap, but I, I would never think of it or relate it to bipolar disorder. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking it's more than just going out and, and having a fantastic game and feeling on top of the world, which could have partly been scoring some of those goals, and then just having a crummy game. It sounds like it was much more intense than just that. Yeah, I just think like the, the contrast was too stark to just be like, oh, like I played a bad game. Like there was that, but I mean, there were, you like, because as I got older, I mean, I kept playing men's league. And that was where I think that's what gives me the insight to really understand because. I, in my early 20s, like I said, started to understand, like, okay, I'm experiencing, like, severe depression. And I knew what it was like. Like, I would, like I said, it would just be this completely different contrast of a player where, like, I mean, I was overthinking everything. Like, the, there was all the brain fog. Like, where hockey, as you would understand if you played, is such a reactive sport. Read and react, you know. So then I was just, like, overthinking things. I was in the wrong position. I was scared to get hit. Like, all these different things to all of a sudden I literally, I remember stepping on the ice, like in these like hypomanic states, if you will, to where it's like, I dare you to come get the puck from me. Like, this is my puck. Like I own, I'm the, like in my head, I wouldn't say this out loud, but like in my head, I'm like, I'm the best player on the ice. Right. I'm like, no one's going to touch me. Right. Um, so it was just such a stark contrast that I think that's where I can relate it back to say like, Hmm, like I was, I was probably dealing with something there. Right. What about uh, school when you were that age, like younger, I don't know, maybe middle school-ish or so and high mm-hmm. school? Did you do all right in school? and Were you able to manage in school? Or do you have examples of looking back in hindsight of examples where you may have been going through some type of hypomania or a depression uh, at that point in your life as well? Um, that's a little tougher, but I mean, because I, I was actually a very smart kid. Um, I actually did really well in school. But I do know that, like, uh, like as a kid growing up, I loved like Jim Carrey and Robin Williams, and you know what we about what we know all know about them is you know they had they have forms of mental illness as well, and like oftentimes the saddest people have like the most outward projection of happiness. And I was in school, I remember being like the class clown, but then you would see like pictures of me where like I just looked so sad, you know, and 
I think I didn't really even develop an emotional language till, you know, my early to mid twenties. Like that's been so much of my work in like finding balance and recovery that like I wouldn't have even been able to recognize it. But like, again, like I said, like going back, like, I mean, I, I repressed all my emotions when I was a kid, like at least the tough ones, like anger, which, you know, from lots of reading and research and experience, you know, you suppress anger. That's gonna, that's gonna amount to depression a lot of times. So, you know, that's just, just kind of like life experience and, and learning and reading books and like looking back, like, I don't have necessary specific examples in school, but definitely like definitely think I was experiencing that for sure. Like right. just with like kind of some of the stark contrasts in mood. It's really interesting, you know, as an educator, when I hear men say that, and you're definitely not the first who said that, mm-hmm. um, it makes me think just how incredible the responsibility is for our educators to be able to spot symptoms and indicators of a kid who may be going through manias or depression and not just writing it off as misbehavior or a kid's just Mm -hmm. tired and sleepy right and and really being aware of that because like you said you had no language to share it you had no awareness really probably at the time that you were that it was even any different than any of your buddies maybe of course yeah i mean that's it it's like you're a kid and like you know there's always like i know in the back of my head like there always felt like there was something just a little like like there was just like that voice in the back of my head that felt like I was different. But again, I mean, it didn't really seem that abnormal to what was going like the way my friends acted. Like I was just like, oh, this is fine. Like, yeah, like, you know, but you're also again, you just don't have you don't have like a soundboard. If you're not talking about it, if there's not an awareness of it, you don't know. How can you know? Right. Exactly. You know. So then you said you did experience what you know for sure was a major depression in your early twenties, you said? Yeah. So the first time, the first, um, first major experience where it was like, okay, something's up was, yeah, I think I was 21. You know, I actually remember this very vividly. It was, uh, June of 2011. Um, it was the year, first year the Bruins won the Stanley cup. And I was with a girlfriend I had been with. It was actually my first girlfriend. I've been with her for somewhere around three or four years, but we had just it was just honestly a toxic relationship, but, you know, being young and dumb and, you know, not having a lot of experience, like, you know, I think I had tried to break up with her like 20 times over that period of years, but it would always like end up in this manipulation where I kind of like, went back in and, um, eventually it just, you know, things happened. And, uh, I remember after that game, I woke up the next morning and kind of heard some sexual noises in the, in my buddy's room and, you know, I remember going up to the door and that's, she was in there and, uh, yeah, I just remember sitting at the door and thinking to myself like, well, I can either go in here and there's no way I'm going to be able to stop hitting him and probably getting the jail and like a lot of trouble and, or I can walk away. And I remember I just like, I just stuffed that like hurt way down in me. Um, and just oh walked down god. the stairs out to work, out to work. Um, oh my god. That must've been awful. So that was your roommate messing around with your girlfriend of a long time. Uh, it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a roommate. It was actually my buddy. He was in Portsmouth. I had played hockey with him for like 12 years. And, um, you know, I look at it at the time. I mean, that, that created a creator in my soul. I mean, that, that ripped me at the seams. Um, and I mean, after that, I didn't, I don't even think I talked to women for like a year. <laughs> um, and it's, it's created a lot of struggles in like relationships and just trying to work through a lot of that patterning and, um, Oh, yeah, that was that was devastating. Um, but well, I can you, look at it now as, you know, a blessing, really. I mean, it was just 
I mean, really, he did for me what I couldn't do myself. And that was just never the relationship I was supposed to be in. Right. I would imagine, like you said, how that impacted you for a long time with relationships. I mean, you must have just lost trust completely and instantly in in women and relationships. Absolutely, man. I mean, I think the the pattern, like I said, I didn't really, I mean, I was so scared. I mean, I was so hurt and I was so scared for like a year. I mean, I really didn't even, I didn't talk to women. I just avoided them. I just kind of did my own thing. Honestly, at that time I was landscaping. So, I mean, a lot of times I would, I just became basically a workaholic. I mean, I would work, uh, I mean, I was working 60 hours a week and, you know, smoking weed at the time. So, you know, basically my day was work 12 hours, go home in the basement, smoke some weed, eat some food, do it all over again. What, you know, uh, what about your relationship with the dude? Cause obviously it's pretty tough to sit here and just blame, blame your girlfriend, right? Cause he obviously yeah. was a willing participant and how did that impact your relationship with him too? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had a lot of, a lot of anger and rage and, and hate towards him for a long time. And I mean, I, I just caught him out, obviously. I mean, I, I didn't continue that. There was, there was really no reason to, I mean, I, I, I would never dream of doing that to someone, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes, but that's just like, if someone, someone could do that to you, it was just like, for me it was easy to cut it off but what's funny about that is six months later the company i was working at hired him oh (laughs) kidding yeah so we worked on the same landscaping crew so oh you're uh, kidding yeah i'm not no unfortunately i'm not so that um you know that was i i mean still looking back i don't really know what the lesson was other than maybe just to try and try and face that um but yeah we didn't I mean, I actually had gone to like the manager of the the company and was like, yo, dude, like here's the situation with this guy. Can we like not hire him? He's like, sorry, man, like I already hired him too bad. Just deal with it. And so I just had to play nice, Um, you know, at the time, again, not really, I didn't have a therapist, not really understanding how to like outlet and channel these things and and talk about them in a healthy way. I mean, I just kind of cried wolf to anyone and everyone that will listen so by the time he got there everyone knew about him yeah (laughs) um so you you are you're not the first one who i've heard who has experienced depression and immediately like start diving into work head first and doing tons and tons of hours into work and in my mind it almost feels like how some guys dive into the booze heavily to you know get rid of the the ill feelings which helps them in the short run obviously you very damaging in the long run or go into the drugs and you did mention weed but it's almost like an addiction like i'm just gonna be at work and stay at work and that'll keep my mind off of it and obviously also not healthy when you find yourself working 60 or 80 hours a week yeah i mean it was just i mean i was young and i mean i think you know and i'm a, I'm a type of person like to dive deep so I think, you know, I have a lot of theories about mental illness myself and just through all the research and my own experience. And I think we just like to kind of stay on the surface with when we're talking about it. But, you know, where depression and mental illness really lies is in these deep traumas. So, you know, I have this trauma of experiencing being cheated on. So the deeper story there that was created and that kind of really had always been there is I'm not enough. I'm not enough. So it just then became trying to fill that hole to prove I was enough. So it was working 60 hours a week. It was competing with every single person there to try and be the best worker, which I did that. You know, I was I was like one of the top crews there. Um, and like I said, I was smoking weed. I mean, I was smoking like a quarter, quarter pound of weed a week. You know what I mean? So 
it was very much I just got entrapped in kind of some of these addictions to try and really bury it and ignore it. And again, at the time, um, I really just I I didn't know how to deal with it, and I just kept stuffing everything. You know, uh, and I I think it's interesting how you mentioned creating a story, right? Because that's a piece I believe in strongly too. That we we create these stories, right? And and now in hindsight, hopefully you know that, that that's that story that you had created that was probably a large part of your depression um, isn't true, right? You feel yeah, like I'm, I'm unlovable. Uh, people who, women who date me are going to cheat and leave me. Uh, mm-hmm. My good friends, I can't trust them. And, mm-hmm. and really, if you're able, when you're in a healthy place, it's much easier. But to change that story, because these are all thoughts you have in your head, right? And mm-hmm. the piece that I love about it is I believe we can actually change those thoughts. We can actually learn to catch ourselves and recognize those thoughts, stop them, and change them, right? And we're, if you were able to say, well, hell, I wanted to leave that woman anyhow, so this is perfect. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the dude, like, he's doing me a favor, and great. I get to move yeah. on now, and yeah. that's what I was always shooting for. And had you been able to keep in that kind of mind frame... Maybe uh, I'm not saying it would have changed everything, but it may have yeah. uh, lessened a depression in my mind. Is that yeah. kind of what you're getting at as well when I when you talk oh. about creating a story? One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think it was just um, you know I do. I look at it as the you know through all the work I've done, I can look back at now and say like it's the silver lining, right? It's you know that was exactly the way you described it. Is like, man, he did me a favor and like you know, really helped me move on from that, you know, because I just kept in the cycle I was in, I just kept going back and back and back and back. And it just, it was the same thing over and over again. So the positive way of looking at that is, is you really did me a favor and helped me move on. Now, I love that you talked about changing your thoughts because I, I will even say there was a specific book I read. It was by Dr. Daniel Amen. And it was called uh, change your brain, change your life. And I remember kind of at the time thinking like depression was like this lifelong thing. It was, you know, like it's just it never ends and you're stuck with it. And that book, literally, I remember reading a line that said it is scientifically proven that you can rewire your brain. So for me, that gave me all the hope in the world that like through mindfulness, meditation and um, different holistic practices that I could rewire kind of these thought patterns because eventually you understand that these are just thoughts and as a human being you have 60,000 of them a day so they're not who you are because guess what there's someone observing the thoughts within you so your thoughts are just these fleeting things that go by and it's you know the ego that attaches to them that gives them the power so you know meditation really helped me start to change that story like you said and just like break it down and understand like okay this isn't me like this is just a thought so I don't have to believe this and really kind of just come back to this place of really recreating a story that I wanted to do. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a lot what CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is about. Yeah. Um, and then through that therapy, often you get tools, too. So write down your th- what happened, the action. Write down yep. the thought you had. Write down evidence that supports or doesn't support that. And hopefully there's a lot of evidence that doesn't support that, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then create a new thought. And... I mean, a simple, real simple example would just be like walking down the hallway at work or in a school and you say hello to somebody and they ignore you. Well, you could be like, oh, my God, they hate me. I wonder what I did to them and perseverate over it. Or you could be like, wow, I bet they're busy. You know, they didn't they might not have Mm -hmm. even heard me. 
Yeah. Um, and and it, so it's a basic, simple action. We create a thought and then we actually even change our behaviors based on those thoughts. So and I think it is such a dangerous place when you're already in a depression and then all of those thoughts can spiral and you can continue to be um, much more negative on yourself and create those negative stories more frequently and just spiral down further. Well, yeah, I mean, I think I think the like kind of hard truth, um, something I had to come to realize and like, you know, don't get me wrong, being in depression, I mean, there is an actual physical element to it where it completely sucks the life out of you. But it's also because you're so caught up in your, like what I've learned is it's because you're so caught up in the racing thoughts in your mind. And like you said, creating and fighting these stories um, that makes it so difficult. But at the end of the day, like self, I mean, depression kind of is like, it's a self, I want to say this without being like, mean or negative but it kind of is like this like self-pity this selfishness like creating this over importance in oneself and like you said like that simple example of i'm walking down the hall like the guy didn't respond to you you make a story about like it's because of you you know what i mean like you said it's maybe the guy's distracted maybe the guy's got his own anxiety maybe he's busy uh maybe his wife just divorced him who knows what the scenario is because you're creating an assumption based on a very limited amount of information and to be honest like I, I've admitted this to myself. It's kind of selfish. Like, like I, it's, everything's about you. And really, that's not the way the world works. A lot of times we're making assumptions and judgments about people with very limited amounts of information. Like, we don't have the whole picture. So how can you make that assumption? And when you do, you're just creating your own suffering. Right, right. So I, uh, I guess I would just push back a little bit only because okay. only because the the piece about being selfish make is hard for me to swallow when I think about what a deep dark place some people get to and are in and then to say they're selfish sounds like it's putting blame on them and, yeah and I know that's not what you're doing and I hear what yeah, you're saying I'm like trying to I don't know how to say it you know what I mean I, I, I definitely agree with you and that's what I was trying to like kind of block myself against doing <laughs> right but I don't think I did a good job <laughs> no well and uh, and I and I respect others opinions too and I and I do see what you're saying just yeah. uh, you mentioned smoking weed, diving into work. That first depression, were there other symptoms? Were you able to sleep? Were you always getting to work? Did your work ethics change? Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, so right when, um, so the actual depression, that, that first one lasted, that was actually the shortest one. It lasted about three weeks. Um, and during that time, man, I was like a lost puppy dog. Like, I. I didn't have a job because I had actually quit another landscaping job and I kind of just sat around. I mean, I was, I mean, I was sleeping till noon, staying up till 2 a.m. and just had like no energy to do anything. I remember it was in the summertime too. And, you know, I was talking to my dad. I was like, dad. And he's like, he's like, you know, Sean, I know you're sad. And like, you know, I love my dad to death, but you know, his, uh, his, <laughs> his advice was, you know, like, just, just stuff it in the back of your mind, keep yourself busy and move on, you know, and buck up, uh, pull yeah, yourself yeah. up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> and again, like that's what he knows. I, you know, I, I, I have done enough digging myself to know, like, you know, it comes from a place of love, but he just didn't like, he just didn't know. He just didn't know another way. So, um, I did take his advice, you know, and then that's when I dove into the job and just, like I said, I just went all in and 60 hours a week and just, um, enthralled myself in that. But the weeks before, I mean, it was, 
it was rough. It was like, you know, sleep, like I said, sleeping till noon, like just literally following him around, like doing chore, like anything. You know what I mean? I had no idea what to do with myself. And, yeah. Uh, oh, so you were living with your dad at the time? Yeah, I was living with my parents because I think I was like, I was 21. Yeah. And I had like, I was living with my girlfriend, but obviously like that happened. So I moved all my stuff back to my parents. Okay. It's really I mean, funny that you mentioned like following him around and not knowing what to do. I haven't heard many men say that. That was very much one of my symptoms part for part of my depression, for sure. I was like attached to my wife's hip because I wasn't yeah. sure what I should be doing. Yeah. And it was the weirdest feeling. And and all of a sudden she'd walk from the living room and she'd be going towards the kitchen and I would be like connected with her. And I literally remember trying to think. What would I normally be doing if I felt normal? Yeah. You know, what What normally keeps me busy in the house? How do I do yeah. this? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I mean, I know at the time for me it was like my entire life. I mean, every structure had fallen apart, right? Like I was with this girl for four years. That fell apart. It was a big part of my identity at the time. I had quit the other job. So it's like, oh, man, now, like, now what do I do? You know, and like you said, I just, I had no clue. I was young and I just, yeah, I mean, I was attached to my dad's hip. I was just like, yep, what do I do? Like, I think we painted. I mean, I, I don't remember all the things we did. It was so long ago, but yeah, we, I just literally anything and everything he was doing, I just followed him around, you know, and I think. And did you, uh, did you seek out any kind of counseling or, or anything? No. Nothing oh, at all? No. Oh, no, 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 no. I was, uh, I had a big, I was so ashamed, you know what I mean? I like yeah. one thing with depression with me is I hid from everyone, you know what I mean? Really? Like, I did not want anyone to know because. You know, I up until that point in my life, I had mental illness was like, if you have mental illness, like there's something serious. You know what I mean? Like, there's oh, yeah. such a stigma. You know, it's such a stigma because I was 21. So that's close to 10 years ago. Right. Um, you know, so I think we're starting to see shifts now. But I mean, back then it was still this like, oh, my God, like I got to hide. I can't let anyone know about this. Like no one's going to love me. Like everyone's going to reject me. And I mean, really, like I said, I just kind of hid under my parents wing. Um, right. Until it's, I started to recover. It's something uh, that I refer to, and I, I can't take credit for this term, but I've heard it referred to as the catch-22 of depression. Everything you need to do to recover is compromised by the very symptoms themselves. So yep. you know that you don't want to isolate, but you stay inside, right? Because you're feeling this shame and you don't want to go out, yet you should be socializing. You, you should be exercising, yet you got all this energy just zapped out of you. You should yep. be eating right, but a lot of people can't eat at all or they yep. overeat. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it is so, I think that just makes it all the more challenging. And it is. And even like being like now, like I can talk about saying like the shame and stuff like that. But at the time I had no, I mean, I didn't even know what that emotion meant. You know what I mean? I couldn't recognize that was the biggest issue. I couldn't recognize any of the feelings other than like I was depressed. That was about the only thing I knew. Like, you know, I sort of knew why, but I had no way to process those emotions. So they stayed stuck within me. Yeah. And like you said, it's, you know, I mean, you're like, well, sitting in bed till noon is probably not a good thing, but I can't even get out of bed. I don't right. even have the energy to get out of bed. And, you know, then you're like, well, I don't want anyone to know, so I'm not going to socialize. So you isolate, which is, you know, one of the worst things you can do. And then you're like, you, like you said, you're like, oh, I should exercise and I should eat. But you like you have no I remember that. I actually remember that specifically the first time I had like no appetite. And it was just so physically draining. It was it was. It's just, it's insane the like how much it can zap you and like you said it's so cyclical you know it's 
because you, you it's like cognitively you can know that you're supposed to be doing these things but you just don't like the energy is just not there to do it right i know it's, like, uh, it's I, a crazy thing i can completely relate to how you said like you you didn't understand the feelings when you had them like i definitely had extreme shame and didn't even realize it and was even in a men's group and they talked about shame and i was like hmm i wonder what that would look like but man <laughs> like i walked into a behavioral health clinic and my first thought was like if i see somebody in the waiting room i know they know i'm at a behavioral health clinic i can't even yeah. say i'm here to see my eye doctor or something or to get it <laughs> physical right i'm at the yeah. behavioral clinic and i didn't yeah want to see anybody and I literally was thinking like okay I'm gonna to have to go out find a new psychiatrist I cannot come to this clinic in case somebody sees me who I know like yep. I mean doesn't get much more shameful than that <laughs> absolutely absolutely and uh I mean I guess for me like that I didn't even really I mean I was so stubborn man like I didn't even really start even looking at being open to getting help till like the third time it happened wow so it, yeah. so you eventually you said it took three weeks or so, but and you were able to to recover from that first one. Yeah, like I just I got I got the job. Um, you know, my dad was encouraging me to like go play some golf or just like go hang out with my friends. So I was doing that, and then I got the job, and you know, felt good about that. Then I started working and like was making money and paying off student loans and like just started doing positive things to kind of like climb out of the hole. And started doing it. And, you know, of course, at the time, being young and naive, I was like, ha, I beat depression. It's over. Like, woohoo, game, like, game, set, match. It's over forever. Um, which, as we both know, is not usually quite the case. Um, and I just started doing those positive things. And like I said, I got, I dove into, you know, working a ton of hours and, and keeping myself busy to really not deal with what was the underlying emotion. So I kind of climbed myself out and just, started into that new cycle of, you know, um, working out, working and smoking weed. Right. And looking back, how long was it until you hit your second bout? So I think the second bout hit when, so I worked at the, the new landscaping company. So let's say three weeks, uh, a depression, uh, after being cheated on. And then I, um, started that job, worked there for like a year, about a year and a half. And started to, you know, quickly work my way up as, like, I was one of the top crews. Um, I was lucky enough to work with uh, a guy who's still the, uh, he's now the director of operations for Piscataqua. His name's uh, Scott. And uh, he took me under his wing when I first started there. And he's like, I'm going to make you, basically, I was, like, his protege, if you will. He awesome. was like, I'm going to make you the best. And, you know, we were, like, the top crew. And then eventually I started running my own crew and, you know, did some of our, our nicest properties, worked my way up. So, obviously, you know, had some confidence. And... Around that time, I think it was 20, it was 22, uh, when I decided I was like, you know, I started to understand that, like, like I've always been an intelligent, smart kid and I loved physical labor, but I was like, there's gotta be, you know, I was looking, I'm very perceptive of my surroundings. So I was looking at a lot of these guys, you know, like just older, you know, 40 something year old, kind of like decrepit, like a lot of issues and bad habits and I was just like looking around I'm like well this isn't really like the trajectory I want my life to go and like there's got to be a better way to do this so um I had met this kid Patrick at the time um through one of my friends Justin who I played hockey with and he had had he had his own um excavation business he's like oh man like you're really good at this like you have a lot of energy like you should think about starting your own business and October of 2012 I I just kind of gave work a month's notice and was like yep starting a business and 
um, with Patrick's help, went out and you know purchased a truck and you know got got bought a mower off of Scott, uh, used mower, and then just started you know started my business and um, did that for roughly let's see, I think I finished in December of 2013 um, and realized that I had kind of done it for all the wrong reasons. Like I had started the business to make money. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but there wasn't like a love behind it and being an entrepreneur and having a lot of experience now, uh, in my, you know, being 30 and doing it a couple of times is like, if you don't love it, it's going to get really hard. And if you don't love it, you're probably not going to push through those roadblocks and the challenges that you're constantly facing. And that was what happened is, you know, I came up to winter, um, I was going to have to do plowing, create contracts. I had never done that. And then, um, you know, I, wasn't a mechanically inclined and I'm still, I mean, I can do a few things, but I'm not, that's not my forte. And, you know, the thought of plowing at two in the morning, what if something broke down? And I just started having all these what if thoughts. And the one thing I can say about my mind is it's always moved very quickly. So it's either been my best friend or my worst enemy. And at the time I didn't have the tools and I just spiraled I just got into this like negative cloud and it just spiraled out of control into depression again. Um, I started feeling depressed and really just got caught in that like doing nothing. And I decided to let my business go, which was at the time devastating. I was 23 again, young and naive and thought that that was going to be the rest of my life. And again, workaholic, I was working. I didn't, I didn't trust people still, obviously, cause that was, a uh, you know, still had that wound fresh from, um, right. you know, from that. So I didn't, I didn't trust anyone to work for me. You know, I'm, I was thinking to myself, like, I'm going to pay some 20 year old kid, uh, 10 bucks, 12 bucks an hour to put in the same type of quality and work ethic. And I'm going to trust him to show up. Like I didn't just straight facts is I didn't trust anyone to do my business and it was my name on it. So I just worked like, you know, I was working like 80 hours a week, you know, I was like up at 6am, uh, out to the job, work till, you know, six, come home, do quotes, uh, estimates and billing and go to bed at like nine, nine thirty, and wake up and do it all over again. And, uh, I just burnt myself out and it just came all kind of to a head and I spiraled out of control. And like I said, I was around 23, I think it was December of 2013 when I quit and I was living in Hampton in my own apartment and I just, yeah, I just lost control. And I mean, I was just sitting on the couch watching TV for 12 hours a day, like anxiety. Like I was literally afraid to be in that apartment. I was scared to go to that apartment. It was that bad, you know? Afraid to go to you, back to your apartment? Yeah, like I just, because I didn't want to be in my head. Right. It was terrifying. Right. It was terrifying. It was the most terrifying place to be it was alone in my own thoughts. And um, yeah, so that happened. You know, I started dealing with the depression. My, you know, I actually remember waking up crying or like waking up and just crying because I, I mean it was so bad yeah and I just remember like pounding my bed and like asking you know I didn't really have like believe in God or spirit at that time and like I mean I had grown up a Catholic but I just kind of moved away from it because it wasn't the cool thing to do and I just was like why am I like screaming and crying like why am I feeling this way like and I remember my dad had actually reached out to me and he was like you know, cause he knew I was dealing with it again. And he was like, I'm worried about you. And then that made me cry even more. Cause it's like, Oh my God, my dad cares about me. And you know, cause he was, whether he admitted it or not, he was worried that I was suicidal. Like I was going right. to be suicidal. Right. Um, 
So crying, just, crying bouts, you uh, were really in your head, you mentioned. Any other symptoms that, that you could nail down about? Yeah, I mean, depression? just sapped energy. Sapped energy, racing thoughts, um, you know, crying bouts, and just, I mean, I mean, the biggest one for me that was always super noticeable was the sapped energy. Right. Um, and did you and see it coming on and know from your history of no, depression, like, no, here it comes? No. No, no, I was just so naive and young in the process and I hadn't really even gotten help. And like I said, the first time I was like, oh, I beat it, you know, so it was almost like I was in denial. Even if I like had a recognition of maybe it's coming on, I was just trying to run from it. And then all of a sudden it just knocked me off my feet, you know right, what I mean? And right. it just smacked me. And that was that was when I started like doing some research and reading like, cause at first again, I tried to hide it and you know, I was trying to prove to everyone again, the whole story. I'm trying to prove I'm enough, right? I'm working 80 hours a week. I'm running my own business. I'm 23. I'm doing it all. I'm doing so good. And you know, trying to make my parents proud to make them feel like I knew what I was doing. And I started doing some research and I was like, Oh my God, like I think I'm depressed, you know? And, um, how did started, it feel yeah. when you came up to that, when you finally jumped into that realization? Yeah, it was so scary. I just remember I was so like, I was like, oh my God, I can't, like I've read about this. I cannot even believe this is happening to me. Like, I don't like, I'm, I'm super, like this doesn't, I'm a, like I have all the potential, like this doesn't happen to me. You know what I mean? Like I was still so young that I thought like my life was going to be perfect and nothing bad was ever going to happen to me. And I just, I remember I was so scared. I was so ashamed. I like tried to hide it as much as I could. And, um, that was one of the, like that time, like the pain threshold got so bad that I was like, I started to talk to my parents. Like I was like, let my parents know. I was like, Hey, like this is happening again. I moved in with them and it was that same, that same kind of feeling Al, uh, that I described earlier with my dad is like, I thought literally this business was going to be the rest of my life. I had done landscaping for six years up until that point, And then it just came crumbling down and I had no clue. I literally had no idea what I wanted to do. So that was creating. So on top of like, you know, the racing thoughts, the sapped energy, the crying bouts, there was now there was anxiety through the roof because I was trying to figure out like, what's my next step. And I had no idea. And I was so overwhelmed that to be honest, I did nothing for four months other than sleep till noon, go to bed at 2 a.m. and watch TV. That was, you, that was literally what I did for the next four months. And I know you expressed uh, concern from your parents. Uh, how were they dealing with you just being at home, doing nothing? Were they? Did they talk to you about trying to get help? And when? And did you reach out for help during this bout of depression? Again? No. So, so round two, again, like I just... I think I was so ashamed and like they were just trying to support me the best they could. Like it was killing them, you know, like obviously as a parent, you don't want to see your child suffer, but I think they were just trying to offer me, um, comfort, you know, and like help in the really the only way they knew how, because I think like, again, my, so like more backers, it was like, I just, my family has a history of, uh, not my direct family, but just like extended. Everything has a direct, uh, history of like mental illness, addictions, all this stuff. And I think my parents' generations didn't really deal with it, you know, other than like, you know, let's, let's just stuff it in the back closet. So I don't think they really had the knowledge to give to me and say, you know, I think we should 
get you some help, or we should do this. Cause my dad, you know, in recent conversations over the last year, he's like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I should have, maybe I should have like got you some help. Maybe we should have had you see someone, you know? And well, it's easy in don't... hindsight. And, and yeah. like you said, there were, it was a different time and there was a lot less talk about depression and about therapists and so forth. I know if I had mentioned it long ago to my folks, they would have been like a therapist. What? You know? Yeah. And, and, and they, obviously cared a lot about you and loved you and were trying to support you in the best way they knew. Yeah. I mean, and that's it. I mean, I, I can look back now and they did the best they could. And, you know, it, it's actually kind of, this is actually kind of a funny piece of the story too, because I remember in my dad trying to support me is like, just trying to get me out and doing things that like I love because you know, what we all know about depression is like you stop doing anything. Yeah. You know, you go from like, and like I'm, I have a ton of hobbies. I've been an, I was like a, you know, basically a six sport athlete. Like I, I super active, you know, and then, you know, so when something's wrong with me, I've always been a heart on my sleeve shoulder. It's so obvious, you know, and I wasn't doing anything. I was sitting on the couch. So my dad's way of doing it, like, let's just get like, come on, let's go golf. Let's just get out and go do something. And so I remember we went out and played, <laughs> I was unemployed and we went and played poker. We used to play Texas Hold'em. <laughs> at this place in uh, Hampton Falls, this poker room. And it was something I, I love doing. I love the, uh, the, the, the challenge of the, the mind element of the game. Right. And, um, and actually what your dad was trying to do is, is some pretty good stuff, right, to get you back into your hobbies that you loved. Yeah. Um, I think we, like you said, you lose interest for everything, and that's one of the symptoms, right? Like if you know you love digital photography and you've always got your camera out or your iPhone taking pictures and all of a sudden you have no interest in doing that. There's yeah. like a year of time where I didn't take any photo of my four young kids and it's like wow. crystal clear that, that I just stopped. And, mm -hmm. uh, but that was one of my passions and I've read that, that it's great to try to get people back into their hobbies, even if they are struggling with it and not enjoying it. Yeah. So I think what your dad was trying to do was definitely a helpful helpful well, idea yeah i mean honestly it's what it, well, the, the story i'm about to share is i mean it's what got me out of the hole um like i said so we had gone we went and played poker this one night and um we you know bought into this tournament i think it was honestly like a 90 it was like a 90 dollar buy-in tournament or something and we go down uh, to the table and the table i ended up sitting at had uh one of my good uh, a good buddy adam of mine that i hadn't you know i hadn't seen him in like six months so you know, instantly reconnecting, you know, I hadn't really talked to anyone other than my dad and I had been isolating. So I get out and I see my friend. So, you know, we start catching up, you know, that kind of sparks like a little bit of like positive emotion. Um, and he's like, Oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, ah, man, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I just stopped my business. Like I'm really trying to find something. He's like, Oh man, like I work at direct capital, you know, and we're hiring. He's like, I could probably get you an interview and you know, the rest is going to be up to you. And I was like, you know, like I said, at the time, literally having no clue what I wanted to do, I was like, oh my God, that would be phenomenal. You know, so he had ended up setting that up. And I remember that, that night in the tournament. So we were playing at the same table and like, I had gotten really low on chips. I was down to like my final 2000 and I remember going all in, um, and like five people called and I ended up winning the hand. So I like, you know, whatever you would call that five times the chips I had. And I looked at him and he was actually the chip leader. And I said, I'm going to come back and beat you. And it kind of like sparked a little bit of the fire that had been missing for so long. It was like, at least like there's some competitiveness that came out of me. Right. And right. I remember he's like, yeah, right, dude. Like we're laughing and joking. And 
I ended up storming back and I won the tournament and I won like a thousand bucks. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I, that was like a really cool moment. Like I, I did that and then he got me a job interview and, um, I had actually called my aunt Helen. She, she was like an HR person. It was like, for me, that was like my first like real interview. Uh, cause it was like a sales job and, uh, yeah, we practiced and I got the job on the spot. That's um, really cool. So I, I do have to say uh, for our listeners that we're not necessarily advocating go out and gamble yes. with thousands of dollars <laughs> when you're deeply depressed. Yeah, yeah, that is. Maybe that if is you like got a wealthy dad with you, it might be all right. <laughs> yeah, but still, no, a hundred percent. Like I just laugh at that story because it's probably about the absolute hundred percent last thing you should be doing if you're depressed. But but, but on the yeah. other hand, you know the the positive piece is you're with your dad, right? He's getting yep. you out of the house. You're connecting with others at the table, right? So there's social interaction. So yeah. there are definitely some positive pieces to it. Yeah. Yeah, but, a, but again, I don't know about the gambling part. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely don't want to sit here and propon- be like, oh yeah, this would be like my uh, if I could write a prescription for you, go uh, go go go. Right. That is funny. So that that really pulled you out, and you had an interview, and you you landed the job. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I remember like talking to the guy. I ended up uh, there was this guy Ken Carpell, and he was like the sales manager, and we had. Um, he came in and he was the only one that talked to me. He's like, yeah, tell me about your business. Tell me about this, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, he's like, when can you start? And I remember just like, you know, fake it till you make it. I was like, uh, give me a phone right now. And I remember him kind of being like, oh, okay. All right, let me see if anyone else wants to talk to you. No one did. And uh, he brought the recruiter back in and they were like, yeah, we'd like to uh, like talk to the job. And I was like, I was, remember at the time I was so confused, so um, so little experience in that world that I was like, uh, do I say yes? Like, I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, and the guy's like, well, I mean, you can, but you should probably like read it and, you know, like review the contract. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. Um, but like, you know, I knew I was going to take it. Um, but I ended up taking that, um, around the same time, um, my friend Chelsea, I was working out at a place called the works in Summersworth and she had invited me to do an amateur bodybuilding competition. And so I, of course, you know, Saft Energy didn't want to do that. But at the time, also knew that working out is like a positive thing for depression. So um, kind of reluctantly was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to do this, but I'm also going to do it with the intention of like, this is for me. And I feel like this is the first thing in my life I'm doing with the intention for solely doing it for me. Right. Um, Had you been a bodybuilder in the past? Um, I've been an athlete. I had worked out, um, never really did a, I had never done anything like that. Um, I just worked out consistently, uh, just to kind of, you know, keep in shape. And like I said, I've always been an athlete, so it's been a part of my life right. uh, for a long time. And, uh, yeah, she had just like, you know, asked me to do that. And it's kind of one of those things like you, you push yourself. Right. And so right around this, you know, all this stuff kind of happened pretty simultaneously. I started the bodybuilding competition, like went to the poker table, won that, got the job. And, you know, then I was, so I'm doing this job and it was a sales job. So, you know, competitive, uh, environment like athletics. And, um, I started doing really well in that. I was doing the bodybuilding competition. So to be honest, it was like the most jacked I had ever been in my life. And, you know, I was getting really strong and watching my body grow and, you know, doing well at the job. And I started actually dating a girl that went to middle school with me. So like everything had kind of like started to click and go well again so it kind of just made me completely forget 
above the depression and just really climb out of that hole. Right, um, right. So through the, all of those pieces, you said you were able to pull yourself out of the depression. Yep. And how long did you stick it? Uh, stick with that job? Uh, I stayed in that job, actually. I ended up staying in that job for like two and a half years. Um, but the third, bout, the third bout of depression happened about a year later after I started. Um, and it happened when... So I broke up with the first, you know, the first girl that that was kind of a bad idea because I was working with her and I would be a proponent of saying, um, don't, uh, don't date someone where you work. Uh, that didn't, right. I can't can say that didn't really work out the greatest for me. Um, and let's see here. So about, so about seven or eight months later, I started to like, I had a bad month and as I had kind of told work you earlier, you mean? Yeah, it like I because I was one of like the top three guys, and then all of a sudden I had a bad month. So, being young and like I said, the way my mind worked is uh, very quick mind. So when things are going well, you know you don't question anything. Blah blah blah. Then some something hits the fan, and all the self doubt and all the negative thoughts, and you know the spiral just started. And that kind of was what started a little bit of that like kind of cloud. Um, and I had a bad month and then I kind of started having all the self doubt. Then it turned into two bad months. And, um, I started dating this new girl that actually, um, am I allowed to say names? Cause she was pretty influential or is that not okay? <laughs> I'm cool with it. If you, uh, if you are. Yeah, I'm totally cool. Uh, so her name was, uh, Alexandria. I still remember her to this day. And, uh, she was the girl from Michigan. I met her actually, uh, on Tinder, which is kind of funny. Um, cause I don't really do the dating uh, uh, apps anymore, but I remember I had met her around that time where I was having some bad months and just quickly, just still to this day, kind of one of those, uh, one of those relationships where someone just like really hits to your soul, your core. And, you know, I kind of fell, I mean, I fell in love with her like within three months. It was just like, it was something still to this day. I really haven't experienced uh, like it. And then I remember there was this shift in our relationship about three months in where she just kind of shut off to me. And that is where, that's where it went, the ship went sinking down. And um, I spiraled out of control, started doing terrible at work, was having the racing thoughts. I remember Adam, Adam was working with me. Um, so he was basically my therapist. Um, I remember going over um, during work. Uh, you know, like on breaks or whatever and like going into his cubicle and like crying, um, you know, just, just really venting to him and just like bawling my eyes out. And he was like, he's such an influential person for me at that time. So yeah, I was out of control, man. And then like, she was, I don't know, she ended up moving back to Michigan and yeah, we broke up and it was just, it was devastating. I mean, I, I just, I just fell apart at the seams, but I remember that 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 was such a I mean she completely shifted my life because it was the first time I started to ask myself like what am I doing wrong like the one factor that doesn't change is myself so what part am I playing like what role am I playing in this happening um, and were you asking you yourself that in what you would consider a healthy way yeah, yeah. It okay. was like so yeah, one hundred percent. It was like the first um kind of some self reflection, right? Yeah, because I mean i say it's spiral, but I, I actually remember it was this time was so crazy like oh man, it was so crazy how this happened because I remember I stayed over at her house for the night and I had a dream about thirty seconds before waking up 
and it had tapped into like one of my biggest insecurities and um i'll just leave it at that but i remember waking up and feeling like a piano fell on my chest like instantly feeling like majorly depressed and it just from there it just spiraled out of control um and it was like that for whew, like a good I, I think that was like four or five months but that was when i finally started to ask the question like what what it like what is my part in this? Because the one thing I knew about her, it's not like it was like a malicious breakup. It's not like I knew that she cared about me and that, you know, she was leaving for herself and it was just, she wasn't maliciously hurting me, you know? So that was what kind of allowed me to ask the questions of what am I doing? Because it was also the first time where I wasn't like, Oh, this like this girl's being a, you know what, like a B I T C H and leaving me. And like, I wasn't swearing at her. I was just kind of like, Oh man, like, I know that what she did wasn't malicious. So what is, what is my part in this? You know? Right. Were you able to answer that question at all? Yeah. I mean, I, I started, so, um, I started looking for answers outside of myself, which, you know, I mean, I think is normal human inclination, but I started reading books and, um, that was when I ran into that Dr. Daniel Amen book. Um, and I was just reading book after book after book after article and all this different stuff and trying to get knowledge and trying to figure out like, what is going on here? Like, what, what is this? And like, that was, um, around that time I had met another friend, Rebecca, that I started to kind of get into like the holistic, uh, like spiritual world. And I actually had started doing like some Reiki and some energy work. And that was like, kind of like the start of, I guess, getting help, if you will, because I had just reached such a such a ridiculous pain threshold that I was like, that's when I started kind of getting into like spirit again. And I was like, all right, like literally I remember looking up to the sky, like I surrender. I like whatever you want me to do, like just tell me what to do to get out of this. Cause this is, I can't deal with this anymore. And yeah, so I just started kind of getting into like the, the holistic world and, and doing some Reiki and, you know, try, I, I started just trying all kinds of different therapies, you know, like cranial sacral energy work, uh, Reiki, yoga, uh, meditation. I started doing meditation, you know, which seemed like crazy at the time. But I just really started experimenting because I was, I was so sick of the pain. Yet you were so sick of the pain, but you never reached out to any kind of professionals for therapy, <laughs> no, doctor, no, like family said, doctor, was, none of those pieces? No, no. Like I said, I was very, very, st very stubborn. Yeah. You know, I was, well, I mean, it's just the typical, in my eyes, what I would call the typical, like, kind of male model, like, trying to, like, I have to figure this out on my own. Right. Right. Like, I'm on a mission. Like, it was kind of like this, this will, like, believing that it was a, it was a flaw in my character that I couldn't outwill the depression. Uh -huh. And that was the battle I fought for a long time is like, I should be able to beat this, you know, like, and I don't need help. Like I, I can do it. I should be able to figure this out. You know? So that was kind of the battle. I mean, I created my own suffering because of that. You know, I just right. was so reluctant to get help and was so stubborn and just, just kept battling myself. But then you mentioned diving into all these different pieces that you did around energy, movement types of things. Yeah. And, and that was able to pull you out of this depression then? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, those things started to help me. And again, I started, it, it was just kind of the same pattern. I just started like getting involved with friends again and, and started doing, you know, things that I enjoyed. Like, I think it was winter when this was happening. So 
you know, started doing skiing, um, things like that again. And I, and climbed out of the hole. It wasn't till the fourth time that I really reached out to professional help. That was the first time, you know, I got a therapist. I started, I saw a psychiatrist, um, and you know, this, this was, was your fourth depression it took you to finally reach out for some medical help. Yeah, because, I mean, at that time there was, I mean, it was one of the, there's a couple of major things that kind of led to, like, healing and self-discovery there. But I just remember there was such a vivid moment where I was driving down the road in my truck. And my brain, I mean, I was having suicidal thoughts. Uh, my brain was like, just drive into that tree. Like, we can just, just. It's easy, Sean. We can just end the pain. Just, just you're on 55. Just turn the wheel a quarter degree to the right. Um, and that was that was terrifying, because again, even though I was having those suicidal thoughts, I was cognitively aware that I didn't I didn't want to die, you know. And right. it was one of those times where like it almost felt like my like soul uh, came alive. Because I remember, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can say this on here, but I remember screaming, like, at the top of my lungs, like, kind of, I felt like a crazy person, like, in my truck, like, basically, F you, mother yeah. effer, um, like, I'm here to stay. Right. And that was kind of, like, a major shift for me. That was when I was like, all right, like, I got a therapist, and I, you know, I was lucky enough to uh, meet this beautiful girl, her name was Ankadia, I call her my, uh, she's kind of my, like, angel guardian angel because she really was one of the first people that allowed besides my parents that really like showed me that like I was lovable even if I was depressed right and that I still had something to offer the world and it kind of and the one thing she started to challenge me with was like creating an emotional language because I would just speak in general it's like oh this feels like bad and she's like okay well like what's bad feel like and I remember like sitting kind of like at a similar table I am right now sitting across from her and just like cringing when she would ask me that stuff because I didn't know how to describe it. It was so hard at the time. Was this a um, girlfriend or a therapist? It wasn't a girlfriend. This was actually just a, a girl I met. She was a good okay. friend. She's still a good friend of mine. Uh, she's Great. a yoga teacher. Okay. Um, and she was like kind of like having me go to yoga and like she was, you know, spending a lot of time with me. And um, yeah, I started seeing a therapist too and we started doing the um, – is it CB? Did you say CBT? CBT, yeah. Yeah, we were behavioral therapy. Yeah, so I started doing the CBT and getting those tools where, like you said, it was like an ABC. Like you have a thought, okay, where is it coming from, and how can I change it? And um, I started doing that type of stuff. Um, I was reading a ton of self-help books. So is, really it, is I, it accurate to say? Sorry to interrupt you. Is it accurate no, to no. say that you finally reached out to a medical doctor or a therapist? because you were so frightened that you had um were having suicidal ideations yeah yeah it okay. was it was it was that and it was just like the pain threshold you know like i felt like each time it just kept getting worse and worse and deeper and deeper yeah. because um yeah it was just it, it just got to that point where it was like it was it was scary it was scary and like, i'm and curious I was like, so from the time you first believed and knew you were going through a depression, like your first bout, until you finally reached out for medical support and help, how long would you say that was? About five years. Okay. So you could realistically say you lived for about five years with bouts of major depression without seeking yeah. any kind of medical yeah. support. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think it, I think that 
uh, there's a lot of folks out there. The number I've seen is that wait for like live with depression for 10 years before reaching out. Again, a lot okay. of that is the self shame. A lot of that is the, the, especially the male attitude of, I got to buck up. I can get through this, pull myself up by the bootstraps and be tough and put that mask on and get through this. Cause everybody has rough times, yep. you know? So I think what year five here is, is, uh, probably pretty typical. Which is a little okay. frightening, right? I mean, yeah. had you I reached mean, out for more support, possibly the first time. But it sounds, it wasn't like you weren't trying, I want to make it clear to the listeners too, it wasn't like you weren't trying to get better. I mean, you were putting work and effort into it in different ways, a lot of oh, which yeah. helped you too. Yeah, I mean, that was it. As I mean, I was, I, was, it's, I, I was working extremely hard. It's just I wasn't really working, I would call it smart. You know what I mean? Right. I was being, whereas like you said, if I would have, let's just say the first time I had experienced it, reached out for help, saw a therapist, kind of did some of the CBT stuff. And, you know, I, I think for me, the one thing I want to be clear about is I think that this holistic practices like yoga and meditation, like those are major tools on my tool belt in yeah. my life now. Yeah. So yeah. I, those are a major part of my journey and major parts that help me. But there's also a cognitive, you know, the CBT and like just a cognitive understanding of, what's happening and processing your emotions. It's very important to your journey to recovery or even if it's just management, you know, those, those are very key factors I think in that process. Yeah. I think I, I would agree. I think it's like you mentioned a tool belt of different tools that you utilize and you were trying to get better, but you weren't really creating a larger tool belt. You had a couple of pieces and you managed to pull yourself out. But had you incorporated some other tools, like possibly a, going to a medical doctor, maybe a therapist, maybe a psychiatrist, and had more tools along with the other pieces that you were doing, the spiritual, the meditation, the yoga, who knows? I mean, if you would have recovered quickly, if you would have maintained those, would you have had your second and third, fourth bouts? It's hard yeah. to say, but but it's yeah. definitely useful to have more tools to dive into, I would think. Absolutely, because I think each time the one thing I can talk about is each time it happened is it was like it was like a blank slate, but it's like I was completely clueless how to work my way out of it. Right. Like each time it seemed like this completely different uh, diagnose, like this completely different animal I was up against, and I would try some of the things I had done before, and they just wouldn't work because there was no concrete tools like that I knew I could use you know what I mean whereas now where I'm at it's not to say I don't feel depressed some days but I think the biggest thing I've done is I have created such a high level of emotional awareness that like I can process and work through the emotion and just say you know what yeah I'm depressed and that is completely okay and I'm gonna feel through that today or if it's two days and I just move through that emotion until, right. you know, it processes through. And I mean, I think really depression is just emotions getting trapped that people don't know how to process through, whether they don't know what the emotion is or or whether they're repressing it or what have you. But I really think it's just a lot of it's, you know, a major component of it is it's trapped emotion and yeah. not knowing how to move through it because it's shameful to be depressed and that's not okay and not allowing yourself to feel it. Right. So back to the, the fourth depression is the one where you finally reached out for help. So did you, was that your first time to do that? You got a, an official diagnosis. Did you get a diagnosis? Yeah. So, I mean, we were playing a shoot. I, I know my therapist, uh, Bobby, we were playing around with a, 
a couple of different things. I mean, at first they thought it was ADHD. So, you know, I know we tried some Adderall medication and strangely that, I mean, I don't want to say strangely, but that really helps. That really helped me find some balance. But then I, again, like I said, very stubborn, very stubborn human being. Like I had 10 months of balance and like regulation in my life. I was doing really well, saving money, like doing well with the job. And I just quit a cold turkey. Um, which I would highly not recommend, especially with something like Adderall. Uh, and my mind kind of went crazy and I spiraled out of control. And then we were looking at, there was definitely like a depression piece. Uh, at first she was just like, I think there's like a very strong mood component for you. Um, so like there was some kind of mood disorder going on. So whether it was depression and then, you know, she had had some kind of like worry, and maybe not worries, but like concerns, like maybe this is bipolar. Like, and I was you know, again, I'd done a lot of reading. We talked a lot. We talked very openly. I was like, I don't think it's that, but you know, at the same time, like I'm going to be open. Like maybe it is. Let's just pay attention. And, you know, over the next couple of years where there was these major ups and downs, she kind of at one point was like, Sean, I think, I think you're bipolar. Um, and I actually remember just accepting that. Like I, it was one of the first times where I like bravely kind of just was like, okay, like, all right, if that's the case, like, how, how can we, how can we find solutions? You know, I kind of transitioned my life into, instead of comp- maybe like being all poor me or complaining, just saying like, all right, well, you know what? People are dealt cards in life and what are the solutions? And I just started working towards solutions. And I guess, again, I was kind of out on a mission. I started getting this deep belief that like, I was here to try and change the story with mental illness and try and do it without medication um, and just use some of the other tools, like use the CBT, use the meditation, use the yoga, use the working out, use a bunch of different tools to not be up to, to not have to utilize medication. And I mean, I've been successful in doing that, I guess. I mean, I used medication here and there uh, as a tool, like I think it's supposed to be used, but um, you know, I, I currently don't take anything and I'm, I'm totally, I'm not against medication. I think medication again is, is very helpful in bringing you out of some of those dark holes and getting you back to a place where you can get some energy. But, um, when you say you use medication when you need to, do you mean, you don't mean you take a pill today and then you might not take one for three no, weeks? No, 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 no. Like I... I had a period where like I dropped like it was again those suicidal thoughts and I think I took like they gave me a like a light depression medication I think okay. I want to say bupropen maybe okay um and I took that for like two months and started to get that energy back like it was just enough to give me like a boost to because that was another one of those times where like I couldn't get out of bed and thinking right. about making breakfast was like overwhelming to the point where I just wouldn't even do it right um. And so I started, so that again, another pain threshold where I was like, oh my God, like as much as I don't want to take medication, I feel like it makes me weak, what blah, 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 blah. I finally was just like, all right, I'm like, this is scary. So this is scaring me to the point of like my own life. So yeah, let's do it. Um, and so I took the bupropion and it really helped. I mean, it really helped get rid of that dark cloud and it really allowed me to kind of get some energy back and um, really work you know, start using all the tools to work my way out of it, you know. And then you, you make it sound like after a couple of months, maybe when to, once you were out of that deep dark hole and could get yourself functioning, then you weaned off of it. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, this was they had um, specifically given me this one. I, I think. I think it was buprofen. I'm pretty sure because that's like a, I believe that's one of the more mild SSRIs. And he had told me that this is a type of depression medication where you, um, you can literally quit it cold turkey, and it's mild enough where like there won't, there won't be any issues. Okay. Um, okay. You know, he's like, I, I might recommend that you like wean yourself off like very slowly over a period of five days, but there's also the option where you can just quit this cold turkey, and they're probably you'll probably be fine. Okay. Yeah. I think it's just important for listeners to know, like going off of the meds, you definitely should be consulting with the doctor. And, uh, and if the doctor says, Hey, you can go cold Turkey, then great. But I think a lot of medications do require a slow wean and you really, really want to plan that out with the doctor so that you know, you're weaning properly and don't go through any kinds of withdrawal or any other challenges. Yeah, Um, I would. I would say that a hundred percent because with the Adderall, I quit cold turkey, and that's like you absolutely—that's a no, 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 big time. And right. my, my mind went nuts, yeah. um, and I spiraled out of control. So, yes, listeners, that is a very major component. Is definitely consult a doctor and kind of very much make a game plan around medication and, and what you're going to do with it, and, and listen to what they have to say as far as you know, taking it. Right. And then, did you have one? more about after that i think you had said you had five total yes um god i don't know that one's a little that one actually was more yeah flash like yeah so i was um yeah i was dating this girl um nikki and i remember i was doing really well i had like climbed out and was like really positive and was really feeling confident that i had you know i was doing the cbt training and like i was staying consistent with like going to my therapist like you know, once every two weeks just to check in and really have kind of like a soundboard to, you know, keep my perspective on track. Cause I think again, a lot of times depression is like a perspective thing. Yeah, uh, and and so I, I do want to say, sorry again to interrupt you, but no, I do okay. think sometimes some of the best work with a therapist can be done when you are in a healthy place. Yeah. So I like the fact that you were seeing a, the therapist, even though you were in a good place. And like you said, a sounding board and you can do a lot of reflecting about your previous depression, I'm sure, with them, too, and talk about different strategies and so forth. So when you're in a healthy place, sometimes that's a great time to see a therapist. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I think it's that's where that's where you can learn the most, uh, like you said, is like because you can look back at stuff like with a clear perspective and a clear mind and really see like oh i can really see where like my thinking was off and like where maybe that wasn't the best thing to be doing or that wasn't a smart decision and you can really start to learn and you can really start to see where you can start to apply tools right and different uh whether it's cbt whether it's medication whether it's meditation whether it's emotional intelligence awareness whatever it is you can really start to see where those you can utilize those tools in the future um, right. to help work you through things. And I, I think that's such a valid point. So to bring you back now, so we were talking like you were done with your fourth depression, seeing this therapist, things were going well. You yeah, were seeing so, another woman. Yeah, so I started seeing a, another girl, tried another I'm relationship. I'm seeing a trend here of women, breakups, depression. Women, I, breakups, depression. Yeah, there's, um, like I said, that, that cheating thing uh, really, really yeah, screwed me up. Right. I mean, yeah, that's true. Um, I had this, um, so through therapy, um, and again, more reading, I realized I have this pattern, um, in relationships that it's very funny that you just said that, cause we'll talk about this now is that the led me to depression because I was playing, it was the hero victim dynamic. If you know the, if you know psychology, there's like a, there's a triangle 
in, you know, these unhealthy relationships where, you know, I would play the hero. You know, I had always envisioned like a relationship was me being the white knight and, you know, saving the girl. And, um, you know, I had attracted into my life a lot of times these women that had, you know, really rough pasts, you know, like, you know, uh, addiction and like alcoholism and, right. uh, you know, rapes and just like sexual trauma and a lot of this stuff. And that was like a lot of the women I was attracting into my life. Um, so I would play the hero, except for when I played the hero, I would forget about all of my own needs. Right. And I would do everything for them. And I think it was really coming from a deeper place of like, well, if I'm the hero to a woman that needs me, then she won't leave me. Right. 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 Um, so, you know, I didn't discover this till really after this relationship. It was kind of the final, final, like, I guess, a uh, slap in the face that I needed to really pick up on this pattern. But yeah, that's kind of what happened is like, you know, we were going well for three months and, you know, I kind of just started worrying about all her needs and, you know, we weren't exactly the healthiest relationship and got in a lot of fights and I just kind of forgot about myself. And I started to like believe kind of these stories of like, you know, she was just, you know, again, I'm not an angel, but she was saying some of the stuff I was doing was effed up. And, you know, I tried to like own, you know, I felt like I had always run away from my stuff. So I was like really trying to own it. But then I started to kind of believe some of the stories she was telling me about myself. And yeah, I just kind of sank into this depression again. I just started to believe some of those stories. And I had like, I remember this was like a little, but this was one of those times where I started like kind of recognizing it. I started feeling like more and more drained over like a period of weeks and I just felt like wow why do I I just keep feeling drained and then it started like entering my mind and then it was just like the full-on like you know racing thoughts and and sapped energy and just uh you know negative thinking and and just really feeling like blah about life um and what really helped me, because I, I was just kind of sticking it out, and I had started to kind of that little voice in the back of my head that said this relationship wasn't really the healthiest and probably wasn't the best for me. But I went to uh, a yoga retreat um, with a extremely good friend of mine, AJ Gavoni. She led it, and uh, with her, actually, I, I'm going to give her a little plug because I love her company, it's uh, Wild Vibes. Um, we went to a retreat in Portugal, and I just experienced this like this love and alignment, like just feeling like like your life is in alignment like it's just this loving energy that i have never experienced and like i came back and realized like wow this is like this relationship isn't serving me my job isn't serving me so i just kind of up and broke up with my girlfriend i quit my uh quit my job and then you know i'm doing kind of what the work i'm doing now you know where we are currently right so having been through five different bouts of major depression mm -hmm. are you are you fearful of falling into another deep depression and are you putting any kind of strategies or awareness into place to help prevent you from going into yet another major bout of depression 100 percent um and there's there's quite a few things so i'm going to try and cover them on and see if i can keep this on track but Number one for me is community. I mean, I'm in, uh, I live in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, which is right next to Portsmouth. And we just have this, this incredible community, Al. I mean, it's, a, it's just like these creatives, these artists, these entrepreneurs, and it's all these people that are supporting each other. And there's, it's not a, a it's a, it's collaboration as opposed to competition. And everyone's working together to help 
build each other's work and share this work. And a lot of it is this holistic work like Reiki and emotional trauma, life coaches, uh, yoga, um, you know, sound healing, just this community of amazing people. So I'm connected with a lot of these people and, uh, I'm an inspirational speaker and it's being an inspirational speaker is my daily reminder that like you can have mental illness, you can have a physical deformity, you can have all these different things, but they're just challenges. They don't define us. So, you know, community is huge work. My work is huge. And then, you know, I work out on a consistent basis. I do yoga. Uh, I'd say my number, my number one weapons in my arsenal are meditation and journaling because that gives me over the years I've kept journals and it has allowed me to understand like, Oh, like sometimes I feel like angry and sad and depressed, but then there's other times where I have a lot of joy. And like a lot of times these emotions are just fleeting. You know, and it's okay to feel and move through them. Um, so those are things I use. But yeah, I mean, the work I'm doing is really just trying to perpetuate forward like this, this level of like, hey, guys, you know, we, we're all in this together. And like together, we're going to rise. And we do that by supporting each other. Yeah, that's um, Do you have any kind of fear of, wow, what if I fall into a, a sixth major depression? What if I turn suicidal? Do you have any kind of safety plan if um, that was to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think I have enough people. Like, so one thing I've done is I'm so open and talking about this with basically anyone that's open to hearing about it. And that's for a couple of reasons because it's it. my close friends know that it's something I've dealt with. And like I said, I've always been a hard-on-my-sleeve guy. So, like, having them around, if something is way off, I have the type of friends that are going to say what's going on. You know what I mean? So that I've set myself up with uh, bumpers, if you will, like bowling bumpers, you know, and those are my people around me. I have amazing friends and they all know I've dealt with it. I've been very open and they're going to know. That's cool. That's really cool. So clearly you've worked through this piece of shame that you talked about earlier. Oh yeah, man. Like that's been huge. That's been it is like, I'm not ashamed of it anymore is I am proud of, I'm proud of it. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change as much pain as I've been through. I would not trade it for anything in the world because I am the man I am today. I have the integrity. I have the character. I have the strength. I have the resilience. I have the drive, the ambition, the passion, all of it came from that. It's so funny because you're describing exactly what I see online a lot through the advocacy work I do and so forth, where people, there's a a quote that a lot of people throw out there that says, I'm not weak due to my mental illness. In fact, it's that I've been so strong to be able to work through this shows my strength. Absolutely. And, And that's exactly what I hear you saying. And and we do, I think it's so important to get past that shame and it's nothing to be ashamed of, right? Like if you were ill with cancer, you're not going to be feeling shame or diabetes, right? Heart disease. I think that I really do believe, I think a lot of it is our thoughts and so forth. And I do believe it's an illness, you know, and there is nothing to be ashamed about. And if we can get past the self shame and the shame we feel, hopefully that helps rid us of the stigma, right? I mean, the more men we get, the more people talking about our experiences, showing that we're not ashamed of it or afraid to talk about it, what hopefully allows others to. That's a big part of this podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's monumental because I think the shame creates this, like, it, it, the way I describe it is it's like it's, it's your own chains, it's your own jail. 
like that shame is like uh you know handcuffs or a jail cell that locks you into your own mind and creates this like this isolation and this this pain story and these harmful thoughts where like if you just free yourself from that and allow yourself to be vulnerable with others you're going to see that most people if you ask for help are going to do anything humanly possible to try and help you yeah. now it's not to say that they're they're going to have the solutions all the time um but anytime i've ever reached out i mean i have always had the most kind, loving, amazing support, care, and feedback. And yeah. it has allowed me to realize that I'm human. I'm worthy of being here regardless of what emotional state I'm in. Yeah. And I'm going to just live my life that way. And I am strong. Like that was the, that was the biggest shift is like, I used to think I was so weak and then it shifted to like, wow, I'm actually a warrior. You know what I mean? That's what what I say to my my cousin, you know, is we're warriors. Absolutely. And I think for anybody who's listening that hasn't yet reached out to understand that, like, we get that. Like, I understand the shame. I had a ton of shame. I stayed isolated in my house when I was taking work off because I didn't want anybody in the neighborhood or or the community to see me and ask me why I wasn't at work. Like extreme shame. And yet I do know that once you can work past that, if you can start sharing, start reaching out for help, it's so much better. Absolutely. I mean, I think, and I want to say that too, is like, yeah, I talk about it like it's this easy thing. Because in reality, right, it's just like pick up the phone and call a friend. Like it's easy when you say it out loud. But I know from my experiences, that was the most, that climbing Mount Everest might have been easier. You know what I mean? That was the hardest thing in the world was to pick up that phone and ask for help or to call someone. Right. You know, so I also want listeners to understand, like, I get that. I'm not saying that that's like easy. Like that is really hard. And it's clear from your description of your story, right? I mean, five years living before you really reached out to somebody to say, I need help. Um, so I know, uh, there are a few other pieces I want to touch on. I know you do some inspirational speaking, you have a podcast and you have a blog and, uh, I throw them all out there cause I want to hear about them all. And I don't know if you have a, a particular order that you want to talk about how they, how you incorporate those all. Yeah. So while, well, and so I, I, I might've miswrote it in the thing. So it's actually a, a book. Uh, I don't have a blog. It's a book that's actually going to be coming out. So I kind of oh, want to start awesome. with that one. Because, oh, I'm sorry. I got that wrong. That's awesome. No, no, that's okay. I might, I honestly, I might've miswrote it when I sent you the sheet. So that might be on me, but, um, yeah, so I was invited by, it was actually through sharing this, this opportunity came to me through sharing my story. It was, uh, the most recent relationship I was talking about, you know, where I experienced their depression, that girl I was dating had, you know, was kind of involved in like the addiction community and was involved with this woman um, named Sarah Geyer, who's very involved in the mental health community. And she was great friends with the, uh, the girl I was dating, Nikki. And, you know, I was very open with Nikki about, you know, my experiences with mental illness. And uh, she had mentioned like, hey, Sarah's, uh, you know, Sarah's, would you be open to have a conversation? I, I hope you don't mind. I had told her kind of your experience and they have this project. They're going, I'm like, Oh no, absolutely. No problem. Like I'd, I'd love to have to talk to her. And so I talked to her for, you know, talked to Sarah on a phone call one day in my kitchen and it was just, you know, talked to her 45 minutes and she's like, well, Sean, uh, I got to tell you, I mean, I love your story and I, I love your passion and I, you know, I appreciate you sharing. And uh, we're doing, we actually have this project, this book that we're putting together and, 
I'd love to have you put in a submission. And I was like, okay. So, you know, not really thinking much of it, but also knowing that I wanted to share, you know, because in my eyes, I remember, I think there was this quote, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was a quote or what, but I just remember thinking like, if, if my story helps one person or can save one person, then all that pain will be worth it. Right. You know? And so it became like this bigger thing than my own story. It became like, well, me sharing could be for others. It could be a way to serve others that are dealing with this. And so, yeah, she, she invited me to write a submission. So I remember I like wrote out, I think it had to be like just like a short, like 500 word version of our story. And I just remember I was sitting on my iPhone in my bed, just like, typing away furiously like it was like just pouring out of me and i remember looking at the iphone i was like oh that's that's pretty good but again submitting it kind of like ah like who's gonna pick me for a book and then a couple weeks later they had chosen my submission so over the past two years um you know i've been doing editing and going to different conferences speaking for this book in preparation for it to come on i think it's supposed to come out this year and it's called um guts grit and the grind and mental fitness manual Oh, so it's awesome. m- my story plus 35 other men's experiences with mental illness. And it comes from, you know, experiences of suicide in the family or divorce or losing kids or um, car accidents, losing brothers or, you know, just my experience. There's all kinds of different types of scenarios with mental health. And the way that we have set it up is like a uh, auto car manual. So like, right, like if there's something wrong with the transmission, turn to page 36 and it'll tell you how to fix it. Right. So that's how this book is set up and it's set up as a resource for you know men and women that are maybe beginning this journey and are like i talked about in that shameful place where you're scared to reach out and you're looking for resources that's what this book will be oh that's Uh, awesome can you tell us the title again yeah it's called guts grit and the grind a mental fitness manual um and it's due to come out this year i think it's april but i'm not 100 percent sure if that's going to be uh, stay on task, but yeah, I mean, it's due to come out this year and, uh, I'm really excited for it to come out because it was, I think a lot of the things I'm working on or I'm trying to be the person or put forth the things and resources I didn't have when I was going through my struggles. Right. Oh, that sounds phenomenal. Then, uh, can you tell us about your speaking gigs and yeah. what those, yeah. the kind of the topics of those? And and I know I do, you do have a podcast too. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, Glad I got so, those pieces right. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Thank you. Um, so the speaking. Um, so my my I have a business. It's up in Adam. Uh, inspirational speaking. It's a play off my uh, my last name there. And uh, yeah, so I, I really do it around my story, just kind of sharing my story, uh, basically what we've kind of talked about today, uh, in a little bit more of a uh, uh, dialed in format. Um, and just really sharing it. I've spoken at some churches. Uh, I actually spoke with Sarah at the, uh, it was a suicide convention down in uh, Massachusetts. I think that was last year. Uh, I spoke in New Orleans at a Dad 2.0 conference, and that was last year as well. And uh, really, it's just, it's covering my story and just really openly speaking about like the depression and the, the diagnosis of bipolar and you know, just really like the shame and the hiding and just the whole story of just like, hey, like I have this experience and I know there's a lot of other people that do too. And you know what? It doesn't mean you still can't pursue your dreams. It doesn't mean you can't still move forward in your life. And that's like what my message is, is that 
you know, these things do not define us. They are not who we are. They are simply a challenge we deal with and that really can define your character and allow you to put forth great things in this, in this world. And, and that's really a lot of what my speaking, my speaking surrounds. Ah, that's awesome. And then, uh, and then you have a podcast, I believe it's called wild hearts. Yes. Yes. Uh, that is, um, that's one of the, the front runners right now and that's really starting to take off. And it's, um, I had had for like the last year, I just have been, I have so much to say, you know, I'm a sharer. Uh, I was, I think it's cause I was repressed uh, for like 25 years, you know, so I think it's all just coming out now, honestly, 25 years worth of talking. So, uh, so I'm like, man, I'd love to do a podcast, but you know, I, you know, a year ago I just felt daunting and like, I'm not, you know, I can do technology, but it's not my strength, so to speak. And I actually met this, uh, she's honestly one of my best friends now, Michaela, uh, her name is Michaela Jean. Uh, she's she's amazing. Hi, Michaela, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> I met her about six months ago, and when we met, we were just kind of we met at a networking meeting, and she just said, "Hey, like, hey, can we have coffee?" Because uh, another one of my dreams is to like build up this podcast and this inspirational speaking, so I can live out of a van and go across the country to spread this message. Um, and so we had originally had coffee talking about van life, and then. We're both like, I was like, oh, yeah, I want to do a podcast. She's like, no way. Like, I've wanted to do a podcast. And so we kind of started talking about that. And then, like, you know, at that time, I feel like we both had some, like, the next three months were us moving through some, like, emotional stuff we were both going through in our lives and just some changes. And then one day she was just, I went over her apartment. She's like, all right, we're going to do it. We're just going to make an announcement. And I was like, wait, what? And so we just did a Facebook live and made an announcement and then just have been building it since then. And we're on uh, episode 13 right now. And the, the podcast surrounds inspiring people, inspirational stories, you know, like every single person has a story and inspiration comes in so many different manifestations. And again, we have this creative community and I, I really think that our demographic for this podcast is 18 to 30 year olds. And, I truly believe um, part of this podcast for me is is being and creating a, a resource and a community um, that I never had. And it is our responsibility as adults to help the next generation put forth good work into this world, but also to let them know that they're capable of anything right. and they can chase any dream that they can have any uh, illness and still do great things. And this podcast is centered around people that are that are out there doing it. You know, a lot of these entrepreneurs are three, four, five years in business. Like, you know, they're not doing the Rock Johnsons. They don't have $20 million businesses, but they're just out there trying to figure it out every day. And you know what? There's challenges, but anyone can do this. Anyone, and you know, so we try to have, I mean, so far we've had a photographer, we've had uh, a holistic um, doctor, a life coach, uh, my cousin Zach, who was a, is a recovering heroin addict. We had a PGA golf professional, um, we've wow, had videographers. Sounds, sounds fantastic. Yeah. You know, I watched part of one, and uh, the one I watched incorporated video. Is it always a video piece along with the audio? Yeah, so it's so cool. I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah, so we do uh, Facebook Live every um, Monday morning at 9 a.m. And that's how we've been just trying to, like, spread it in the local community. And we actually recently 
um, created and sold T-shirts to help raise money to get a higher quality mic. So now we have, uh, you might recognize this since you're in the podcast world, but a Blue Yeti mic. Sweet. Uh, So we just got that. And yeah, the goal is to be on like iTunes and Spotify um, by March 1st. That's uh, fantastic. So you don't even have a podcast hosting site. You don't even need one of those. You're just on Facebook Live. And if I understand Facebook Live right, you can, you film it. And do people actually watch you live or is it? Yeah. But, yeah. We so get, people you watch you live. Checking in. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, and it's recorded so people can watch it at any point as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So what okay. we'll do is we, they can go back and watch it. And we also, what I do is I put it on my website. Um, and we also have a YouTube channel. Okay. So we just okay. direct people to those places. And, Obviously, we understand that, you know, I, I know for myself when I'm, I, you know, I've listened to some of your podcast episodes and like I'm listening to all the other podcasts I like. It's usually when I'm driving. Right. So it's an audio piece. So that's right. where like getting the mic in because we were going to go on iTunes over a month ago. Uh-huh. But then we had one of our guests that had a podcast said like they're really strict about audio and they'll kick you off if you have poor audio. So we had kind of put the cart before the horse and we're like, oh, OK, let's pump the brakes here. So then we changed the plan up got the mic and now full force goal is to be on by march 1st and then that way we're going to have more of an audio component where people can tune in and hopefully access a larger crowd it sounds like a great plan well thought out and uh good luck with that that's cool and 13 episodes already down oh and weekly you're doing that yeah so we're doing it weekly yeah we're we're just uh it's just that consistency there's uh i don't know if you've ever heard of the uh business guy gary v but uh, he's all about that volume, you know, so we're just trying to keep that consistency. And I think the more consistent we are, it's helping us build it in our community. And it's really starting to get a lot of traction because of that consistency. Right. So um, we're just trying to keep up with that and, and just keep it rolling. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good luck with that. Um, you, you mentioned that people can get to it through your website, but I don't think you've given us the website address yet. Yeah, so my website is uh, Um and then we have a, I have a little tab for the Wild Hearts podcast on there. Okay, and then sweet. we also have a YouTube channel, which is just Wild Hearts, um, which you can view all the videos as well. Fantastic. I'll make sure those are in the show notes. Cool. I'm excited for you. And, uh, and people can find the shirts. I know you talked about shirts. They can find that on your website too, I'm guessing. Um, that's actually Michaela's website. Oh my goodness. You got to get a link on your site. Yeah. Well, I have a link in my Instagram. There's so many different things. I'm not saying we're perfect at that. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many different links everywhere. We're trying to dial it in because we got to get a specific. Yeah. I think we have to get a website for Wild Hearts, which is in process. Well, you're growing it and don't let it stress you out. Right. Like clearly you have the propensity to be hard on yourself and uh, yeah. You're growing it, you know, and don't be hard on yourself. I think that's important. So, you know, before we wrap up here, I'm wondering if you have any kind of words of advice um, for the listeners. I know you gave a ton and talked about kind of your tool belt. But if there's a guy or anybody who's out there struggling right now listening to the show, what's one bit of advice or words of wisdom or hope that you would give to them now? Man, there's so many things. I think the number one thing that comes up is take a risk and be vulnerable. And if you can do it surrounding community, you know, I think for me without taking that risk and being vulnerable and telling people that I was struggling, I, I would, I don't, who knows, maybe I wouldn't even be here. Right. Um, so it's, it's, that is the biggest, we have so many things in this lifetime that will make us feel vulnerable. 
Yeah. And I've often found that everything you ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And when you're vulnerable, there's a fear element to it. If you can like just face that fear and, and give yourself permission to do that. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect and you're going to get great results every time. But, uh, in my experience, being vulnerable is where all the magic has happened. All the hope has come from and all the beautiful things in my life have, have been born from. Right. That's great advice. And so I hear you saying, make yourself vulnerable, be vulnerable by reaching out and taking that risk to share with somebody who you trust. Mm -hmm. I'm struggling. Let them know so that you can get the help you need. Absolutely. And the the support. All right. Cool. Fantastic. Well, Sean, hey, I really appreciate uh, your time. I'm excited for some of the work that you're just diving into. And uh, I will be watching it develop and uh, make sure that you stay in touch. I will, man. I appreciate your time, Alan. It was an absolute pleasure being on here and uh, hope you guys got something from it. All right. Well, thanks again and stay healthy. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. If you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text 741-741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the like button. In addition, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.